0: of our Saviour Christ according to St Luke chapter 10 beginning at the 25th verse. Glory to you Lord Jesus Christ. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law, what do you read then? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbour as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell into the hands of robbers, was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers. He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. It is lovely to be here and to join together on this most special of occasions in our church life. And we are no strangers, and obviously, working with Morris on covenant points, but also um, working together as we do um, in theological education. And so, it is a joy to be with you um, and to come back later in the year in, in May as well to the integrated seminar. I don't know what happens here. In CITI but the tradition has grown up that our students give the staff small gifts at the end of each academic year and maybe that happens as well. <laughs> I have to say that over the years it has been a bit of an eclectic mix. <laughs> and the useful, the amusing and the extraordinary. There was a stethoscope for the year that my doctorate was completed. There was an extremely generous meal voucher last summer which got my husband John out of a birthday meal last summer. <laughs> um, a director's chair, at one stage I was called director of studies and now director of the ministry team, but yeah, the director's chair. And then this one, I've got to put it in the pocket so I will lose it, a key ring. With I love context. On it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, the joke is for those of you who are not theological educators that actually to give someone who is a, a biblical specialist this gift says a lot. About I'm pretty sure that that gift was intended to reflect my pedantry um, about partial exegesis. Perhaps it was that they realized. That they had heard the message, that we need to read scripture in context, in the context of its setting within the biblical book, in the context of the canon, I'm rehearsing it for you, Katie. <laughs> in the context in which it was first written, and of course, in the context in which it was first heard. But I thought of this gift again as I considered preaching tonight during the week of prayer for Christian unity because actually we need to think of our own context as well when we come to scripture and the passage that we've just read from ephesians is one of those passages that not only talks about its own context but also calls us to think about the context in which we are as we read it we join ephesians at a turning point in the letter in chapters one to three the writer maybe paul or maybe someone coming after him, he has set out a vision of the church, the church imagined, and the church prayed for. And then in chapters four to six of the letter, in the light of that sense of expectation and aspiration, he turns to reality. He turns to the reality of what it should mean in their daily lives. And he starts that turning point here, in chapter four, verse one and three to verse 16, with an exhortation to Christ's followers. An exhortation to live lives worthy of this high calling. An exhortation to be God's holy people. In these verses, he does it in two ways. First of all, he sets out in in the first half the context for a life that's going to come up again and again. You? The context for a life worthy of the high calling of Christ. A context marked out by these distinctive qualities. And even as you heard Tim reading it, I hope that you heard that context. Qualities for those called to be one. Qualities for those called to be one body. For people to demonstrate the harmony and the unity intended by God. Did you hear those qualities? Not quite the same list as we find elsewhere in Colossians 3, but still a quality of humility and gentleness. Quality of patience, literally a long temper. A sense of steadfastness or forbearance doesn't that bring realism to the list? An indication that the writer knows that there will be tensions and conflicts that arise in Christian community, but actually also an indication that even then, there is a need to act positively, even in such circumstances. If you choose to read on in Ephesians, you will find that the writer admits that there can be limits to tolerance, and that confession and forgiveness and repentance are necessary. But at this point, he points us to love and points us towards the bedrock of the unity of the church, a theme that we come back again and again to in celebrations like this as we think of Christian unity. And the writer points then to the need for an eagerness, an eagerness to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That oneness created by God, made possible in Christ, available to each of us through the power of the spirit. The picture painted is a beautiful picture A life worthy of a high calling, with unity and focus. And based on this wonderful foundations of faith that he comes to in such a poetic fashion in these verses. Those of you who know Greek will know that there's a denseness of the Greek expression. And if we were to follow it through, you would would get a bit lost in how we do it. And yet, even in an English translation, you hear the repetition of the word one, and it plays on our senses and drives the intention and the message home. One body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so the writer, drives home the message. That we should be brought back again and again and again to the foundation of Christianity. For that unity is founded in the triune God. And surely that should be the basis for all of our ministries. For all that each of us does in the service of the kingdom. With the lofty words of those first six verses still ringing in our ears, the passage moves on with a bit of commentary on Psalm 68, which emphasises the role of Christ as the giver of gifts. And there's a sense of a contrast between the unity expressed in these first set of verses and the diversity expressed in the ministries in the later half of the passage. But those ministries, point to the possibility and the potential of different individuals. And as the author switches from the I to you, as he switches to we and us, he gives a sense of a community outworking their faith, even in the gifts given to individuals. I'm not gonna rehearse the meaning of each one of those gifts in this space but let's think about them together as we gather in this service of christianity because even though the gifts are diverse and eclectic and are entrusted to individuals they are to be exercised in cooperation and in community they are gifts that are given and designed for the building up and maturing of the body individually and corporately. Some of us may work extremely well by ourselves, doing what we can, excelling in the skills that we've been given to us, making our own choices, advancing our own little patch of the kingdom, if you like. But striving together is the impetus of the passage of the word. Striving together in collaboration with others, committing to work together, to build up the whole body of Christ. It's challenging, but it's what he calls us to. Called to live, called to minister, to lead, to teach, to serve together. Diverse and yet united, choosing to be together, so that as one body we may come to the unity of the faith. to the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. That brings me to the second gift. This was not given, this this is only a representation, it's not the actual one I have to say, because the gift was given to a colleague, a friend actually known to, to many of you. She had worked extremely hard with a particular group of students to support them in becoming reflective practitioners. So profound was the impact of her teaching that at the end of that year they gave her a mirror with the words words reflective practitioner printed out on paper and stuck on it because they obviously couldn't afford to buy a mirror. A <laughs> but they bought it for her to be hung in her study, so that every day and she and anyone else who came in would be challenged and encouraged to sustain their effective practice. Got me thinking about this passage because a mirror is a helpful prompt to encourage us that even in the context of these lofty words, and in the context of this list of gifts, we need to examine our own lives. We need to think about the lives which we need as individuals and as a body together. That call to be one isn't worked out unless it's worked out by each one of us. There were two other passages that we read together in our service. So I'm not going to spend as much time on them, you will be relieved here, but it would be remiss not to pay attention to them, because both of them point to how we live out this high calling to be one in our daily lives. Micah's called the people of Israel to do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God. Comes from a long suffering God. A God who remains faithful to an unfaithful people. A God who is being interceded to by the prophet. The people have leant into the practices of their religious faith, but without their ethical obedience that faith in God requires. 700 years before Christ, Israel is in the middle of revival. The temple is crowded. I think they're probably even over budget. But the prophet knows that it isn't right. The prophet knows that something is wrong. Because Israel is arrogant and uncaring. They are religious, yes. But their idea of what religion means is far from what God is hoping for them. They have forgotten his generosity. They have forgotten how he loved them, how he brought them out of slavery and gave them a home. And his plea to them is not sounded in the hectoring tones of a strident fearfulness, but in the pleading tone of one who loves them and who wants the best. For them. And so he calls them back to do justice, to be a voice for the oppressed person, for the unprotected, for every person treated less than God's child. He calls them to love kindness, to respond to his love by showing it to others and sharing it with others. He calls them to walk humbly, to listen for his voice wherever it may be heard. In the parable, Jesus speaks to the lawyer who wanted to know who was his neighbor. He speaks to one who is happy enough About what loving the Lord with all his heart and soul and mind might mean, but is more hesitant about knowing who exactly his neighbour is. And so in that question and answer, Jesus uses a story to explain again what it means to exercise your love in action. The Samaritan is the one who is moved by the spirit of compassion, that spirit of God. The Samaritan is the one who is showing the example of living the gospel of eternal life in his actions. There's a bit of a conversation in translations of that passage about whether there should be a semicolon or a comma in the sentence between the instructions about God and the instruction about the neighbor I'm not as much of a pedant about context as that, I promise you. But it struck me that actually there is a danger for us as we seek to live and follow God. That we put more than a breath between the service that we want to pay to God, and the service that we want to pay to our neighbour. To love God is to love neighbour, is to love God. The ongoing flow of love allows eternal life, allows the kingdom to begin even now. The parable isn't simply a story about a helpful stranger. It's a story of the transforming power of God at work in those who travel dangerous roads. Not only in a world long ago, but for a world today. It's a story that moves us into expressing the fullness of life, eternal life. Who is my neighbour? the one who showed him mercy. Go and do likewise. The imperative for us in this week of prayer for community <coughs> is to be one, but in our oneness to seek justice, to engage together and honestly, to reveal how we ourselves might become closer in Christ, but also In that unity, to think about how we might work together to effect change. How we might work to restore broken relationships as individuals, but also together as churches. To long that we might be one. To long for unity, but in the midst of the knowledge of the injustice that is scattered throughout our world to long for unity that will bring justice then to people and situations that we face each day but also to the places where we can only see a hint or even a remote possibility and to bring on prayers for the right actions of others. Many of you may have listened to the words of Justin Welby as he preached at the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II last September. And as he spoke to a congregation full of many of the world's most powerful leaders, he said this. People of loving service are rare in any walk of life. Leaders of loving service are still rare. But in all cases, those who serve will be loved. And remembered when those who cling to power and privileges are long forgotten. It is leaders of loving service who most authentically reflect those words of unity expressed by the writer to the Ephesians and those imperatives expressed by both the prophet Micah and by Jesus himself. It is those who will seek to grow up in every way unto him who is the head, into Christ. And so we pray and seek the help of the Spirit to understand the contexts in which we serve and in which we meet. We seek the help of the Spirit as we exercise our distinct and diverse gifts, as we share and lead and serve together. And may each one of us live a life worthy of that I'm calling, reflecting the love of Christ, love that binds us together into a single body, love that bears witness to the ultimate unity and communion for which we strive, love that convicts and impels us to action, in the face of the injustices that we see each day. Love that binds each one of us into the body of him who has loved us. Amen. Amen. <laughs>